This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Ethan, and today is Sunday, August the 27th, 2023. Today's message was recorded live at the chapel in Beaver Creek, Colorado, and this is week four of part two of our journey through the book of Proverbs. And thanks once again for joining with us. I want to start with a little silly story. Um, hopefully it has a point. A number of years ago, our church did um, two years back-to-back mission trips um, into India. And some of y'all have probably been to India. Um, I've, I've traveled a little bit in my life. And this was the most, when you felt like I am in a foreign land, right? It was that, that experience. But at one point, we are, it took a little break in the day, and we're in a market and um, at, a, at a little shop. And, uh, and the shop owner there is trying to sell me this little trinket, and it was uh, an elephant. It was a, you know, a Hindu symbol. And, um, and I'm like, no, no, thank you, but I'm not interested. And he said, it'll bring, you, it'll bring you protection. It will protect you. And I said, protect me from what? And he said, from flying elephants. And I said, there are no flying elephants. And he said, see, it works. So I didn't know if I'd get a laugh or not on that. But, but actually, I just totally made that story up. <laughs> I did go to India, and I did go in a lot of markets, and I did have a lot of shop owners try to sell me things that were little, little elephants, and I did buy a few of them. But the reason I told that, I want you to imagine if someone came up to you and said, here, I've got something for you. Maybe I'm going to give it to you. Maybe I'm going to sell it to you. But if you have this, it will protect you. And you said something like, protect me from what? And they were only able to give some vague, generic answer. Well, I don't know. It'll just, it'll just protect you. You'd think, well, that's, that doesn't really have a lot of value. Friends, when we look into the Proverbs, we are here at Trinity going through the book of Proverbs. And we're about, oh, geez, about eight, eight or nine weeks into it now. When we see words of like the wisdom and understanding and knowledge of God will protect you, that is not an empty promise in Proverbs. It is not vague. It is not generic. In fact, it's quite specific. The pro- protection of wisdom is something that we will see throughout the entirety of Proverbs. If you read through it, that's a recurring theme, a re- recurring phrase that you'll see. And we really saw it for the first time very clearly in how we ended our scripture last week in verses 9 through 11 of chapter 2. And today we're um, completing chapter 2, going through the second half of Proverbs chapter 2. But this is how we wrapped up last week. It's the, the proverbial father, the, the scene here of this lecture is a father speaking to a son. Right, And in the beginning of chapter 2, really was all about seek after wisdom with all your heart. And here are all the benefits. And then he says this, Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path for wisdom will enter your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. In verse 11, discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. And so we read that and we think, That's a powerful statement. But how? Protect me from what? And again, Proverbs answers that question in many ways throughout the entirety of the collection. And in our scripture today, we see this answer given in two specific contexts, right? And it's, um, again, the father speaking to a son says that wisdom will deliver you. And the two examples are from wicked men and from the adulterous woman. 
right? Both of these have a, lit a sense of literalness about it, but of course, both of them also are, are, are rubrics or constructs to point us to larger and deeper principles, which we're going to explore a little bit. So just jumping right in, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 12, verse 12 through 15 is this first paragraph where the father says, the parent says to the child, wisdom will save you from, here we go, wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. From men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. All right, let's unpack this just a little bit. First of all, when the, this is Solomon writing, almost all even secular biblical, biblical historians agree, it's almost certainly this is King Solomon who is writing at this point earlier in Proverbs, really for the bulk of Proverbs. But when we read, wisdom will save you, when they say this, what does that mean? And this is something we've talked about, but just to revisit it, just again, zooming back in a bit through the lens of the New Testament as well, this is wisdom when... Friends, because of our love of God, which flows out of an understanding of God's love for us, when our love of God leads us into obedience, into a desire, a realized desire, increasingly realized desire, to live out the character and nature and goodness of God in the choices in our life, principle in how we interact with and engage with people, Right, how we see and understand God's creation through his eyes and through his nature. Right, that perspective, that, that setting of our heart, conviction of heart, will inevitably bring about transformation of our minds. Right, Paul talks a lot about that. That will impact and change our choices, how we see things, how we live. We will walk in the ways of the wisdom of God. And this description here of wicked men describes people who not only are the opposite of that, not only people who engage in evil actions that the wisdom will save us from, right? It's not just about um, wickedness or evil that a person may do because of the supposed um, benefits that it will bring to them, right? What we see described here is people who engage in wickedness because they like it, right? because they enjoy it. Right? They, they, they delight in the suffering of other people. Right? There's a great word, I think I used this word a couple of weeks ago, you know, schadenfreude. You know, when you take pleasure in the suffering of, of another person. And there are three times here, excuse me, three times that we see the idea of paths in ways, right? Wisdom will save you from the path of darkness, from the ways of evil men. Um, and again, this isn't just individual um, um, acts, but the idea here is that when you begin down, when you start to live this way, this will, this will not just be isolated things, but will increasingly lead to a way of life, a way of thinking that is opposite of the goodness of God and that dulls our conscience and leads to a place where we don't have a conscience, even possibly enjoyment over the devaluing, fear of, and harm of other people. It's a powerful statement 
that, that we open with here. And just a few key descriptions that we saw. First of all, the idea of perverse words. Right? Just to say this was profanity would be to grossly right, um, miss the, the, the warning that is here. This is really the idea of speaking with, in, with an intent to deceive, to harm. Right? Lying to elevate ourself. Right? Just if zoom out even a little bit more, it's a lack of integrity in how we communicate, in all the ways that we communicate. Um, the idea of walking in dark ways that the, the, the youth is warned against. This is the idea of becoming comfortable with thoughts and actions, a way of life that is counter to the nature of God. And then, of course, the warning against taking joy and delight in the failure and the suffering of other people. The idea of crooked paths, of devious actions. Right? This is a picture of people who are actively seeking out opportunities to bring harm, to lie, and to satisfy their cravings for indulgence at the expense of other people. And so we hear that right, right out of the box. We read this and we may think that's, that's horrible. Right, that, that's describing you know, some of the worst people they could, there could possibly be. And that's not me. And that's not most of the people that I know. And I would almost certainly agree with you if you think that. I would say that's probably right. But is there something here for us to learn? Should I hold that thought? So we go to the second statement of how the wisdom of God lived in our lives will deliver us. It's that wisdom will save you from the adulterous woman. So continuing on in verse 16. The father says, wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman. From the wayward woman with her seductive words. <laughs> who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. That's a key statement. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her retain or attain, return or attain the paths of life. All right, something here. Um, friends, in our introduction, in the first two messages, when we introduced Proverbs as a whole, we talked about how Proverbs is very male-oriented, right? It's oriented to the male. An example here in this case, the father is warning the son against the seductive and adulterous woman. But we must see this principle to apply to us all, right? The mother or father, both warning both the son and the daughter against the seduction of not only the, the adulterous woman, but almost certainly more dangerous against the sexually predatory man, right? This is to all of us. It's an overarching statement. But friends, from an even larger perspective, this warning isn't just against the evil of lust, Okay, like the literal understanding here, it definitely is a warning against that. But it's not just about easy or adulterous sex. Okay, this speaks about the devastating temptation of seduction and lust and betrayal in all of its forms. Right? And that's how we need to think about it and consider it. And we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, the idea of seductive words here literally is speech. In the Hebrew, it's the idea of speech that is smooth as olive oil. Right, a good um, English uh, American, you know, parallel idiom would be to butter someone up. Okay, right, speech that really makes it's really what we want to hear. Speech that appeals to our desires and pride. 
And importantly, what we see, and this is a larger theme that, ex that is explored as we'll be continuing on into Proverbs, while the seducer here promises to bring joy and satisfaction to the youth, right, to, to meet those desires, in reality, the seducer hates the youth. And the seducer will take joy in the downfall of the youth, exploit them to their own ends, and ultimately intends to destroy and discard them. Right? That's what the enemy does. The seducer is also described as abandoning their original partner, right? the one to whom they made a covenant before God, a pledge to be faithful before God. Now, that clearly, in the literal picture here, is referring to marriage and fidelity. But again, it's about more than just that. Consider this. The seducer is one who claims to belong to God. Right? On the outside is claiming to be faithful to God. But while holding up this facade of righteousness, in fact, has abandoned their faith and is living to satisfy their own pride and hunger for exploitation and for power over people and is working in a way opposed to the goodness and the love and the character of God. And so the warning here is powerful. The father says to the child, don't go there. Do not go to her, for she will lead you onto a path that leads to destruction and death, death from which there is no return to the paths of life. Now, again, we may hear that, read that, and think, that's not me. <laughs> right? That's not part of my life. That's not people I know. And again, this may be true. But is there something here that we need to consider and learn? See, my friends, when we read passages like this in Proverbs, but also in other places in Scripture, it's easy to say, um, that just doesn't apply to me, right? Because I'm not that bad, and very well we may, we may be right. Or, more common, it's very tempting to map these descriptions onto other people, right? The big, bad, immoral world around us. And make no mistake, there is wickedness and devastation of seduction and betrayal in our world. But friends, when we look at this scripture, we must always look at it through the lens of how is God speaking to me? It's the body of Christ. How is God speaking to us? So, considering both the wicked man, the wicked man, and the adulterous, adulterous woman, how is this speaking to us? Just, just a few thoughts. Guys, first of all, this isn't about us saying or hearing preachers say to us, because plenty do, I remember hearing this a lot in the church context in which I grew up, basically the idea that I know I'm a dirty, rotten sinner, okay? I know I am wicked, the Bible says I'm wicked, so I've just got to figure out how I am like the people here in this. I've got to search all the ways I'm sinning so that I can beg for forgiveness and then go and recommit myself to Christ. And friends, this is the religious philosophy that summed up with the phrase, I don't know if you've ever heard this, um, the story, I read this in a book one time, a, 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 a high school student went to youth group, came back home, and the parents said, how was it? And they said, oh, you know, it's the same as every week. God is good, I am bad, try harder. All right? God is good, I am bad, try harder. All right? Now, friends, this leads to religious burnout, disillusionment, but worse, it's not the gospel. In fact, it's counter to the gospel. Now, having said that, friends, of 
course, we all struggle with brokenness in our humanity. Right? We all struggle in some way with this big picture of sin. We can get off in the weeds and how we think about it at times, but this is just a reality. We all are on the journey of transformation, but it's very possible that many of you here are spiritually healthy, right? You're walking in a, a wonderful and trusting and loving relationship with God, and primarily your lives are characterized by a desire-based obedience to God and love of Him and the character and nature and goodness of God being expressed in your life. Right? That may be many of you. It's also possible that there is some issue in your heart that you know about, right? that you're aware of. Maybe you're kind of pretending it's not there and you're, you're saying, you know, God, I just don't really want to deal with this yet. Um, but, but, but you know about it and it's there and the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction into your life and, and this is something that you're wrestling with, right? For, for many of us, we find ourselves in that place at times. It's also possible, though, that for some of us here, there may be something, a thought pattern, maybe an activity that we are happily and energetically engaging with that is not consistent with who we are in Christ. And we just haven't thought about it. We haven't thought it through. For whatever reason, we haven't heard the voice of the Spirit through the Word of God speaking to us and challenging us. And we need to, because ultimately, that behavior can be damaging not only to ourselves, but to those around us. And we need to hear. And friends, whatever, wherever we may be, wherever we may be along that continuum, based upon what we just read, a few humble principles, perspectives that I suggest that we might consider. First of all, this idea of perverse speech, dishonest speech, of the, the ways of, of evil men. And I use the word zoom out a lot, right? We're, we're looking at this. Big, big picture principles. Um, friends, this is dishonest speech. Communication that, eval that elevates self, right? Or, de or devalues, puts other people down. Maybe it's speech that is just thoughtless, right? It just doesn't, we just don't consider, right? Proactively consider how our words, our communications impacts other people. And um, coming from us as professed followers of Christ, maybe we're not giving thought to how, our, our, how we communicate our words, but the full breadth of communication that we engage in, how it either enhances or diminishes the image of God in the eyes of those that hear us, right? That see how we, what we say and how we say things. Something to think about. The idea of taking delight in doing wrong and evil. Right? I would highly doubt that anyone here purposefully takes joy in directly harming someone. But do we um, allow ourselves to be affiliated or do we... Um, are we okay when we see other people do it? Or do we take joy, another thought, in the failure of those who are opposed to us? Okay, just think with me. Do we laugh or celebrate when we see other people face the consequences of their actions? Even if maybe that is deserved or, or maybe their actions were against us, all right? Do I need to give an example of that? You know, 
and, and, and again, it's, I'm going to come across for some of you, it's like, boy, that preacher was really jumping on us today. And, and, and granted, I, I am not a social media person, and it's easy for me to jump on. It's easy for pastors to jump up and down on social media. But I get sent tons of stuff. And friends, we need to be cognizant and think about how our communication and how we, um, a lot of the stuff that's out there with the emails we may forward, the social media things we may engage in, that are celebrating the downfall of those who are opposed to us, right? Or taking delight when people that we think are wrong face the consequences, maybe the very real and, you know, you could see it coming a mile away consequences of their actions, right? Politically, socially, wherever we may see this. You guys, listen, I'm no, I'm no big prude, and humor really isn't evil, but it's something for us to think about, right? How does what I say and how I say it make God beautiful in the eyes of those who hear me. Is my speech winsome or is my speech a barrier? Okay, it's a principle. Right? Lastly here, thinking about the seducer, the seductress. Friends, there are many things in life that seek to butter us up, right? to obtain our allegiance, to get us on board with them. And again, as people who claim to represent the mission and the, the, the mission of Christ and the character of God, we need to give careful thought um, to whom we um, ally, you know, ally ourselves with, especially in a time of such polarization in our country. And I'll just leave that there. <laughs> if you want to have a cup of coffee with me, we can explore that more. Um, speaking of wisdom, I, I was going to like really dive into that, and I thought, I'm not sure it would be wise for me to dive further into that. But just a thought. Just a thought. But friends, in contrast to this, right? in contrast to this, the father now says to his child, in contrast, is the way of wisdom. The blessing of a life transformed and reflective and obedient to the nature and the character and the goodness and the love of God, the one who walks in paths of righteousness. Going on in verse 20. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of righteousness. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. For it's the image here of living in the land. Um, really, there's kind of two meanings. Um, again, a literal meaning that would have been incredibly powerful, that statement, for the people of Israel when this was first, when Solomon's wisdom was taught and it, it was first heard. And then also a meaning that really speaks into our lives today. Um, in the Old Testament, as you know, the nation of Israel, for the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, the concept of the land, the, the, the land of Israel, was everything, right? This was tied up in the Abrahamic covenant um, where God had said to Abraham, you know, go to the land that I will show you. The promised land, right? The homeland of Israel represented God's promise and God's presence. And to be cut off from the land or driven from it or torn from it, that would be national death, right? That would be the ultimate terrible consequence. And if you know your history, 
you know that in and around 586 BC, that is what happened. Right? When Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire, came in, the timeline's a little messier than just saying 586 B.C., but basically hauled off right, Israel into the Babylonian captiv captivity. And if you do an Old Testament class, you'll say that's known as the exilic period. And the totality of the history of the nation of Israel is really seen as what's pre-exilic and post-exilic. That this great tragic event when the people were taken from the land. And of course when we get into Nehemiah and Ezra, this is when they are being returned to the land and these incredible stories. But when, when, when Solomon wrote here, for the just and the upright and the blameless, you will remain in the land. Right. That is basically saying you will know and experience the presence and the blessing of God. Again, because at a higher level, as we think about this now, the idea of being upright and blameless is the image of an abundant life, of provision, of prosperity and fullness. Again, to know and experience the blessings of God. And friends, this is an example here of the, and again, we've talked about this before, the, the very black and white kind of all or nothing imagery that we commonly see in the book of Proverbs. Right? On the one hand, we have the dark paths of evil men. On the other hand, we have the abundant blessings of the paths of righteousness. On one hand, we have the death paths of the seductress. On the other hand, we have God's blessings and prosperity. As long as you are blameless and upright. Otherwise, you will be cut down and you will be torn away from the land. And friends, that is a principle of truth. Right? We all know our choices have consequences. Right? Whatever path we set, on our, our, set ourselves upon, our paths have destinations. And yet at the same time, we also know, if we're honest, that the reality of life is not that simple. It's far more nuanced. None of us are always upright, completely faithful, totally blameless in and of ourselves. Right? We all fail. We have and we will again. We all at times have been tempted by easy gain or seduced in some way by whatever it is that appeals to our pride, our cravings that led us into bad choices. And my friends, if our hope is dependent upon the blamelessness that we see described here in Proverbs, my friends, then we have no hope. Just as the totality of the law and the prophets never could continually bring hope to the people of Israel. But friends, praise be to God. This leads us now to the lens of Jesus. So we see this truth. We see it now through the lens of the work of Jesus Christ. For when the human race was, with, was without God and without hope in the world, as Paul said, Christ came to be our hope. I'm just going to read this passage you're familiar with. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Right? On the one hand, we have, if, as long as you are blameless, and completely faithful, then you will know the prosperity of God. Otherwise, you will be cut off from the land. We hear this now. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, 
the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We could say, like the rest, we were cut off from the land. Like the rest, we were headed down the paths of evil men and the death path of the seductress. And then verse 4. You know what the word is? But. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by the grace of God that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, that's not just heaven when we die, that is right now, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is not about our ability to always be deserving and blameless and upright. It is a gift of God, not by your works, so that no one can boast. And then, having said, the grace of God in your life has nothing to do with your works and your deservedness. Verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork. The word, the word there is poemia, right? We are God's creative masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God himself has prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, there is no distant distance down the paths that may lead to death where we are too far from the grace of God because God is right here in Christ he is right here to take us and to lift us up and to welcome us into his arms and as Jesus said to the woman that he had saved from the condemnation of her religious accusers right, come with me and be free from your life of sin and brokenness friends that is the lens of Jesus and one of the most powerful ways we see this portrayed in the life of Jesus and in the teaching of Jesus is what he said to his apostles, to the, to the twelve, as he had them gathered together in a room on the night of the Passover meal, on the night that he would be arrested. And we see this, of course, in Luke and other places in the Gospels. We also see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For Paul, reflecting back on this event and speaking to the Corinthian church that was just a hot mess, Paul said this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. All right. This is my body, which is about to be broken. Basically, Jesus said, this is the cross given for you. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the presence of God. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
And then in verse 27 and 28 of the Corinthian accounting of this event, Paul says this, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Okay. Friends, there's a lot that can be said about verses 27 and 28 there. But for now, just summing that up, as we are about to enter into a time of worship through communion ourselves, this is a calling to us out of the goodness of the heart of God to let the Spirit open our eyes, open our hearts, to examine ourselves during this time of worship. When we say this, I am remembering the cross, right? The event through which we have been brought from death to life. So God, however you would speak to me and open my eyes and open my heart, perhaps now considering this passage in Proverbs that we just went to, right? The, the temptation of, like, of, of seduction, of pride in life and the, the, the paths of destruction that we are tempted to enter. Or maybe it's, just, maybe it's something else in God's word. Maybe it's a way that God is already working in your life before you came here today. But as we now worship during this time of communion, through the lens of the redemptive heart of God, because friends, when God convicts us, it's never about condemnation. Right? You know this. It's always about healing and redemption and freedom and restoration. May we allow God to search our hearts and reveal to us how he's speaking to us out of his goodness, out of his love, as we take this time to worship through remembering the cross.